0: Steve is not here today because he and Brennan took a road trip heading east. Last week, Chris and Kiera took a road trip heading west. Now, I'm not sure why the Daniels family planned their trips the way they did, but if you've ever been on a road trip with your entire family, you can probably appreciate the wisdom of separate road trips. You know, Marilyn and I were determined that our kids would see America from sea to shining sea, and they did. We made some great memories during those trips. But there's one aspect of traveling together that wasn't so great, and that was my being forced into the role of arbiter of family disputes. I don't know how many times I heard, make Nikki move over, or... Make Matt quit bothering me. If not trapped in the car with them, I would most likely have told them to settle it themselves. And sometimes the best thing to do is to refuse to get involved. And that's what Jesus did on one occasion. He refused to be put in the role of arbiter when someone tried to get him involved in a family dispute. We pick up the account in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Now Jesus' responds to this man Seems unexpectedly harsh. You know, we've come to expect him to be anything but gentle Jesus, meek and mild. When dealing with the Pharisees, we've seen him fire back at them and call them blind guides and fools and hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. But why did Jesus react as he did to this man's request? After all, it wasn't. All that unusual, it was common for rabbis or teachers to be asked to serve as arbiters or judges in disputes. So why did Jesus refuse to get involved in this dispute? I think we discover the answer in what he said next. And he said to them, beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus spotted greed in the man's request. And he wasn't subtle in pointing it out, he called everyone's attention to it by saying, Beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. What's the big deal about greed? Well, I think Paul nailed it in Colossians when he declared that greed amounts to idolatry. It's putting the desire for more above the desire for God. It's worshiping things instead of worshiping God. And Jesus said we must be aware or beware of greed in all its forms. Now, I don't know how many forms greed can take. But I do think we can spot three in Jesus' encounter with this man and in what he had to say after the encounter. This week, we're going to look at the first two, and next week, the third. The first form of greed can be seen in what the man asked Jesus to do. He said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, the translators inserted the word family into the sentence, and it was no doubt the family inheritance that was getting this man upset. And those of us who've had to deal with the distribution of family inheritance know how contentious it can be. If there's ever a time to heed Jesus' instructions to go the second mile and to give the one who wants your shirt, your jacket as well, this is it. Well, apparently this man's brother didn't do so. He kept what he'd been given. And the man coming to Jesus was coveting his brother's inheritance. And that's the first form of greed, coveting. You know, greed in general is an overwhelming desire to have more. Coveting is an overwhelming desire to have something that belongs to someone else. Now, just about everything we want belongs to someone else, be it a storekeeper or a neighbor. It doesn't belong to us, and that's why we want it. But simply wanting what someone else has doesn't necessarily constitute coveting. If our desire to have what someone else has leads us to make an offer to purchase it, and they are agreeable to the exchange, our desire probably hasn't sunk into the level of covetousness. Our desire to have it might lead us to spend more than we should, and it might lead us to a very foolish purchase, but I I don't think it should be considered coveting. What changes general greed into actual coveting is an attitude that says, I deserve it more than they do. What they have should be mine. The man who came to Jesus had no doubt been given what his father thought should be his. But he thought he should have been given more. That more of what had been given to his brother should have been given to him. And he felt very strongly about it. You know, he didn't come. Asking Jesus to impartially review what had been done to see if it was justifiable or fair. He came demanding that Jesus tell his brother to give him a bigger portion of the inheritance. He was convinced he'd been wronged, that he deserved more than he'd been given. Obviously, he wasn't grateful for what he'd been given. And he probably wouldn't have been grateful if Jesus had interceded on his behalf and secured for him a larger portion of the inheritance. He was convinced he deserved more to begin with. And if Jesus would have been able to get him more, he would have simply thought he was finally getting what should have been his in the first place. And that's one of the ugly consequences of thinking you deserve more than you have. When you think you deserve what you want and then actually get it, you're not grateful for it. You know, gratitude comes when you get something you know you don't deserve. That's why we're so grateful for Christ's sacrifice. We know we could never deserve what he did for us on the cross. We're overwhelmed. By the undeserved grace He's given to us. If we thought we deserved it, that God owed it to us because we're such good people, we wouldn't be grateful for it. If you lose gratitude, you lose joy. You know, what brings us our greatest joy is knowing that God loves us enough to give us a gift we could never deserve. A gift we could never earn. If we think we have a right to everything we desire, we're not grateful for it when we do get it. And if we're grateful for nothing, nothing will bring us joy. So coveting, even getting what we covet, will never bring us happiness. But that's still not the primary reason we must be on guard against coveting. We must beware of it because it is sinful. It's number 10 of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to you. To your neighbor. Now, why is coveting listed in God's top ten, along with murder and stealing and adultery? It almost seems harmless by comparison. But it's because coveting, an attitude of the heart, doesn't stay hidden. Inside of us, it breaks out in all kinds of sinful behaviors. In James 4, 1 and 2, we read, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight. And quarrel all kinds of sinful behaviors come from a heart that is covetous and then even if you do obtain that which you covet it won't make possible the life you thought it would for Jesus said be on guard against every form of greed for even when one has an abundance does his life? Consist of his possessions. Not even then. Greed. Doesn't end though. When you get what you want. It merely changes form. Into hoarding. As the parable. Jesus went on to share. So aptly illustrates. And he told him a parable saying. The land of a certain rich man. Was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you prepared so is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward god here was a man who had everything or so he thought he was apparently an honest hard working farmer I don't know that there are any other kind, are there? The only two I know are. This farmer had a good year. The rains came at the right time. <laughs> and stopped when they weren't supposed to rain. You know, and the sun shined when it was needed. His land produced more than expected. And that caused a problem. He had no place to put all his grain. He had more than he could use or even store. And he didn't know what to do with his excess. Apparently, he gave no thought to sharing what he had with others. What he had was his, and his alone, as reflected in the numerous times he said, I or my or mine. He had no sense of stewardship. He didn't acknowledge that all he had, including his health and the ability to work, was a trust from his creator. Or that the produce of the land entrusted to him was to be used to bring glory to God. He thought only of himself and how to protect his assets. He decided he needed more barns. But he didn't just want more barns. He wanted bigger barns. He wanted everyone to be able to see just how successful he was. And he didn't want them to remember that he had ever been less successful. So he tore down his old barns, his little barns. Once everything was safely stored and he was certain His future was secure. He said to himself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, eat, drink, and be merry is in the Bible. But don't forget who said it. Or how God responded to that proposed lifestyle. You fool! He thought his life was secure. But God said it was over. Whose crops were they now? As the old proverb so eloquently put it, there are no pockets on a shroud. Or as we say today, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And the really sad thing Was it in laying up treasure for himself, he had neglected to lay up treasure in heaven. He may have been rich during his time on earth, but he wasn't rich toward God. And it is easy to get so caught up in the things of this life that we lose sight of our life to come. It's easy to begin thinking our life consists of our possessions. And our struggle to acquire them. We spend so much time thinking about, working for, and spending that which is physical that we forget about that which is spiritual. And the more we have, the harder it is to keep the spiritual in focus. Didn't Jesus say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, lest we assume it's therefore impossible, as the disciples did when Jesus said it, he did go on to say that with God, all things are possible. By God's grace, even a rich, middle-class American can enter into the kingdom of God. But he probably won't stay there If he becomes a greedy hoarder of God's blessing. Jesus said no man can serve God and mammon. And mammon is just an old word for riches. If the accumulation and hoarding of riches becomes the objective of our life, our end will be like that of the rich man in Jesus' parable. To avoid that, we must never forget that we are stewards of God's blessings. And he blesses us so we can bless others. Paul even went so far as to say that those who steal should stop stealing and start working. Not so they would no longer have a need to steal, but so they would have something to share. With those in need. What we have does not belong to us. And it's therefore not ours to hoard. It belongs to God. And he has entrusted it to us. To use in ways that bring him glory. And the easiest way to remember that is by honoring Him with the tithe. If we faithfully give back the top 10% of our income to the Lord, we will remember our obligations as stewards. And by giving up that percentage that might make us feel more secure financially, we will learn to trust even more in the one who has promised to meet our needs. And that will help keep us from feeling the need to hoard up riches for the future. Now, that's not to say it's wrong to save for the future. In fact, being a good steward requires us to plan ahead. But we can never get so greedy that we stop thinking of others. Or stop recognizing that all we have belongs to our Father in heaven. And that ultimately, our future is in His hands. And we won't if we will remain resolved to seek after the things that are higher and nobler and be on guard against greed in all its forms.